The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibilities for the stories contained herein. I'm Kendra Sheets. And I'm Rich Gill. And this is Enough, a podcast that aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn our community. This podcast may contain graphic descriptions of sexual abuse and assault, including rape. These accounts can be triggering, especially for those who have also experienced sexual trauma. If at any point during this podcast, you feel yourself getting triggered, we suggest taking a break and taking care of yourself before continuing. But we do ask that you continue if you are able. These conversations can be mentally and emotionally taxing, but they are so important to have. Welcome to another episode of the Enough Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kendra Sheets. And I'm your other host, Rich Gill. And uh, we have a guest today with us. Uh, Kaya, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came into the music scene, and go from there? <laughs> My name is Kaya, and I am from the Seattle area. I grew up here and got into the music scene in my early teens in like the late 90s I started going to shows I was really into the scene I wanted to be a musician really bad but at the time didn't play any band worthy instruments there is this fantastic venue that's no longer called Graceland that had all of the oh, uh, like, I love Graceland yeah it was, it's a good spot and what it's turned into is something very different but that's where I started going I, I got really into what was cool when I was a teenager, which was like a screamo punk scene, which was a fun time. <laughs> but it allowed, you know, all that angst to really uh, find a place to scream about. So that's kind of when I started going to shows and uh, getting into that. I will say I liked a lot of different kinds of music back then. A lot of it was as rebellious as I could have been with my mom and her uh, like 80s pop that she was really into at the time which I have a much more fond appreciation for now. But back then I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I always had to find the loudest, most aggressive thing that was counteractive to that. Of course, um, yeah. But, you know, one of my first shows I ever saw was Cher. And so I, I keep that close to my heart. That's, yeah. That's amazing. It's just a cool yeah. thing I can look back on. I probably didn't appreciate it as much back then, but now I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, iconic. <laughs> So, Kaya, when you were starting to go to these shows, you said that you didn't have any musical talent at that time, but you were also starting to do something else that was somewhat creative. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that really was drawing me into getting more involved in the music scene was I was really into, like, still photography. I loved looking at old pictures of, like, these bands from like the 60s and 70s and 80s that I was just like this is so cool you can kind of like live in this moment in this frozen moment in time and so that was something that I was super passionate about I wanted to know how I could find my way into that but for a long time it was just kind of like something I really liked looking at until I got a little bit older out of high school then I started to just kind of get into photography in general like I wanted to take film classes, learn how to like develop and shoot film and that kind of stuff. As things were already starting to move toward digital, I was really drawn to that like old school, just like very analog look and feel. There's definitely a 
a look and a grain to stuff like that that you can't really duplicate with digital. That's just like super iconic. The way that, you know, you're shooting in these lower lights and you're shooting black and white and there's certain kind of films that do really well in that. And it just makes it super grainy and like awesome. And I've tried to recreate it digitally and it's just not the same. Like it's too clean almost or it just looks fake. And so I'm like, okay, well, digital is good for like color and stuff like that. But for me, like that black and white era of photography is just what really speaks to me. And so I started taking, you know, whatever camera I could get my hands on out and about and just like practicing and doing stuff like that. It took me a while before I'd actually go shoot at a show because I was just so nervous. Like you have to be up the front, like in their faces. And like, I remember the first band that I photographed, it was Akimbo. And they're just like very loud and aggressive, Seattle locals. And it was before I really learned the rules of like shooting shows where, you know, you don't use a flash. If you only shoot for like the first couple of songs and then you back off and let people enjoy but I'm like up there in the front. I have like a giant flash of my camera. I'm like shooting. It's so dark in there. And then all of a sudden there's like bright lights going off in their faces. I got some cool shots, I guess, you know, for being a first time. But learning about it later, I was like, God, that was so stupid. <laughs> I'd always think about that too. And think like, first you're in front. Like, I don't want to be an in front person. That's why I'm not an on stage person. So putting myself like near the stage is really scary because then everyone who's watching the band can see me. And I'm like, am I here too long? Now they're seeing me. Did they see me take that photo? Because that was a dumb photo. Oh my God. I'm like really, really self-conscious. And then I used to have a, a camera because I do shoot digital, but I get what you're saying with the film versus digital uh, and the cleanliness aspect. I used to have the giant angry large flash as well. And I was so happy when I finally got like a camera that wasn't just like a kit DSLR where I was like, this thing can actually pick up enough lighting at like a small dark venue where I don't have to have the flash on. And like, I, cause I felt so annoying to everyone around me, band and people in the audience. I'm just like, oh, please don't look at me. I'm just trying to cover the show. <laughs> I know. You learn to get past that. And once you kind of learn those tips and tricks, it, it becomes really fun. And then I got really like aggressive about it and just be like, I am here. This is my space. I am taking these photos. I'm going to stand here. I don't care if I'm in your way for the next five seconds. That was kind of what my goal was. It was just like, I wanted to recreate that in this image and like have it live here forever. And that's what I started to do. Doing photography and sort of getting involved with it after high school, you said you took some classes and stuff, photography classes in, in college. And that sort of brings us into your story about why you're here today, correct? Yeah. So I guess a little bit more backstory. Like I grew up in like a single parent home with my mom and it was just like me, her and my little brother. And she was kind of one of those like going through school moms, like working and schooling all the time. So we were very much like little latchkey kids, like watching TV after school all day long forever. <laughs> Very little guidance. But um, when I was in high school, I actually went on a trip with some friends and one of my friend's parents to like this resort and unfortunately had the experience of being sexually assaulted while I was there by someone who worked at the hotel. And so that kind of was, it was like my first sexual experience. So it kind of um, created this whole roller coaster of emotions and 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 things that came out of that my friends didn't really believe me what was happening and so i started to 
pretty quickly before I even had a chance to really develop it, like lose my self-worth and like lose my self-esteem and feel like I was kind of shamed into this place, right? So I talked to my mom about it and I like let her know what happened. And like, instead of being that support system that I was hoping for, because I didn't really know what to, what to expect, what to do at this point, you know, like my friends were obviously useless to me and they didn't believe anything I said and went on their own way about it. And when I talked to my mom about it, like her response was, you know, don't tell your grandparents, talk to your therapist. And that was kind of like it. <laughs> and like, That's I did see so therapists tough. when I was little, just because, you know, uh, divorce and that kind of stuff, that was just kind of like what we did. And, uh, I remember like hating going to therapy because I just didn't want to be forced to talk to anyone. And so then to have this happen and still not being comfortable going to talk to some third person, it just kind of compounded where it was just another layer of like not being able to share how I feel or have my feelings be validated by the one person who should do that, which was my mom at the time. And so, yeah, it was not a great start to my sexual exploration of my use, I guess. And it kind of resulted in some hypersexual tendencies as I grew up. I kind of held on to that low self-esteem for a very long time. Even those two best friends, I remember we would always just kind of compare ourselves to each other and just constantly pit each other against each other. It was not a very healthy friendship, but maybe that's normal in high school. But I feel like that's a high school girl thing, unfortunately. <laughs> It is. And sometimes it gets really bad and sometimes it's just, I'm not as skinny as you and like all this other stuff, you know, and it was just kind of like little things like that that just kept building. So like later when I finally got out of high school and was kind of living on my own in the city, I was, you know, trying to find my way into the scene the same way, just like a different aspect of it. I was working at like these bar venues um, in Seattle and it was just like fast and crazy all the time. And I was still really into photography and getting more into it every day. And I started taking classes at a place called the Sono Sonographic Center Northwest. And there I got to learn how to like shoot film and develop and do lighting and all this stuff. And then they offered a class on documentary photography, specifically like band documentary photography. And so I was like really excited because I, I started to do research and look at who taught the class and realized that this person was a very well-known photographer in Seattle who was like the official photographer of one of like the biggest bands that have come out of Seattle. And so when I started to look through his photos and everything, I started to make recognition with a lot of the images that I was seeing and it just got me really excited. I was like, awesome. This is exactly where I want to be. This is where I want to go. I want to be the person that follows the band and like takes all their photos and like does their promo shots, but also like bus tour shots, you know, like everything. And I was like, cool, this is my way in. And yeah, so I remember kind of walking out of one of my photo classes and the teacher was like standing at the front desk. And as I was walking by, he's like, hey, you should sign up for my class. And I was like, I already did. And that was kind of like, just like that. He just looked at you and knew. Yeah. It was like, yeah. looking back at it, it was uh, kind of creepy and predatory because <laughs> at the time you're like, hey, I'm the type to take the class. Yay. Like, this is perfect. He's throwing a lot of assumptions out there, too, though. I had pink hair and, you know, multiple studded belts and 
undrop everything, <laughs> stripey pants, like the whole shebang. And mm-hmm. so I think that was exactly what he was hoping for and who would take his class, I guess. And that was me. So I felt special. So yeah, it kind of started there, started taking the class. He was very charismatic, very funny, flirtatious. He made me feel kind of, I don't know, like he saw me differently than everyone else in the class. We had assignments to like go to shows of people we knew or not and like practice the techniques we were learning and take photos. He would develop from there and he offered to come to some of the shows to kind of give me tips and I was like, sweet. So that kind of just built on that relationship a little bit where I guess it was like more grooming where it was just like we were kind of developing this relationship outside of the classroom and the flirting kind of was more. And at that time, I just like was trying to figure out where my place was. I I didn't have big aspirations to like go to college or anything like that. I wanted to be an artist and like uh, a part of the music scene. And so I was like, this is great. Like I'm getting this one-on-one coaching for this thing that I love to do with this person who I'm like very drawn to right now. So that's kind of how it started. What's the age difference at this point between the two of you? So he was almost 40 at the time and I was 20 when I started taking that class just shy of my 21st birthday. I don't know. I think I told myself that age didn't matter and it's really just about what you have in common and the passion things, I don't know, that come out of it, I guess. And you're very mature at 20 years old and he can see that being 40. Yeah, I was super wise. I had all the experience. I knew everything at that Every time. Every 20-year-old does. I know. <laughs> you're all old souls. That's right. Oh my God, so true, but so not. It's all the <laughs> things that I've told myself as well, so. Oh, yeah. I think I, I, think I stood by that sentiment that I, I'm an old soul for so long and, like, used it in so many different ways in my life. And looking back, I'm like, absolutely not. You're <laughs> 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 such a child in so many ways, like, grow up. I was out on my own. I was like making it, you know, I worked at this cool bar that had shows and I had friends and higher places. And, you know, I was just in it. I was like just absorbed into this world. And this person was giving me this attention that I was really craving at that time. And I just kind of dove in blindly, I think, in a lot of ways. And I didn't really take a look at any of the red flags. The other big thing about that was no one around me in my like support circle, like helped me look at those red flags either. So my best friend at the time, super cool girl, worked at a record store, knew everything there was to know about every musician you could ever think of. She smoked cigarettes and had like a cool punk rock haircut and like could tell jokes and have perfect conversation with the best of them where I'm over here just like intimidated by everyone, can't walk into a bar or a show by myself because I'm just like so insecure and she was just like the opposite of that so I just like really looked up to her and when I told her about this relationship and how it was developing she just didn't have anything bad to say she just asked me if I was like happy and like everything was good and I said yes and she was like cool great and like super supportive of it and so that just reassured that I was like doing the right thing and like being in this relationship was okay and then I told my mom about it and he really wasn't that much younger than her at that time. And like, she just didn't 
fight back. She didn't push back. She didn't tell me like, hey, you're being dumb. All the things that I really wish she would have said at that time. She just didn't know how to, I don't know, be disciplinary at that point. You know, I'm, I'm out of the house, but, you know, she never really was a disciplinary. Like, I never got grounded or got in trouble for things. I got away with a lot. So it was just another thing that she's like, okay, seems like you know what you're doing. Do I? Just no, no, like no guidance where there should be guidance of like, hey, maybe think about this and the power dynamic and stuff that anyone would say in that situation. And you kind of look to a parent to sort of guide you there. And sounds like you didn't have that. So that that's tough. Yeah. And I really do feel like I was looking for someone to give me some advice, some clarity into what I was doing because I really had no idea what I was doing with anything in my life at that time. Who does? You're 21 years old. Like, what's going on? And um, it just kind of, it ramped up really fast. We were in this like lustful relationship that really wasn't like a public show of affection either. So he has this reputation, right, that he wants to preserve as best he can um, because he is known in this like more mature music scene and this art scene and he has an ex-wife and kids and like wants to preserve their existence and everyone thinks everything is hunky-dory and to the point where even though he was divorced and like had joint custody and all that he like still wore his wedding ring and like weird things like that that should have been giant flashing red flags for me but he was also really good at manipulating the truth. And oh, they always are. They always are. <laughs> he was just really good at doing that and making me feel like what he's doing is very minimal or, or small and unimportant. And that his feelings for me were what really mattered. And that even though he can't just like outwardly say he has this girlfriend or whatever, like I was still important to him. So it was like that back and forth of like, well, the action should have been louder than what he was saying, but it really wasn't. But he basically was kind of keeping me on his back burner and the shadow, like, you know, the other woman over there. And then placating you with all the reasons of why. And it's social and it's this group of people and music and the family and it's all these things, you know, so you, you kind of understand it. You don't understand exactly with what he's doing for it, but you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Sure, whatever you say. Yep, I kind of just like ate every word that he gave me. And I was like, yep, that seems normal. <laughs> but I didn't really have a good idea of what like a healthy relationship was. Like my mom was never in a healthy relationship growing up. So I just didn't know what that looked like. And she unfortunately spent a lot of her adult life trying to figure out how to also not be taken advantage of by the people that were in her life. And she didn't get to that point until much later either. So it just was like, not a good role model situation for me. So when he is just kind of feeding me these happy nothings, I was like, sure, that sounds great. He would tell me things like, I'm his muse, and I brought back this creativity that kind of was stale for a long time. And I was like, heck yeah, I don't know how I did that, but awesome. Like, I must be amazing. My existence is just that good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, my existence is great, but not for his benefit. It just took me a while to figure that out because I just didn't value myself enough to be like, hey, I deserve better than this. Like, I deserve to be 
seen. I shouldn't be just like this hidden away, silenced woman, which is what I felt like I was. And I didn't really know that's what I was feeling. It just like pulled me in all these different directions for a long time. And eventually like his ex-wife found out that he was seeing someone else and she started to kind of come after me a little bit. She like came to the airport one time when we were coming back from a trip and accosted me in the middle of the airport and like they left together and it was very awkward and I was just standing there like I have no idea what just happened and now I'm humiliated and want to die. That is not like ex-wife behavior. That's wife behavior. I know, which is really peculiar to me. Again, like I think that he was really good at lying. He had a lot of addiction issues, substance abuse, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. He was sober when I met him, but I think that a lot of his behaviors carried over. And so one of them was he was a huge liar and he would even admit that. But it didn't, like, scare me for whatever reason. I was like, oh, yeah, that sucks that you were like that when you were on the drugs. But it didn't really, like, click. Like, hey, maybe he's still like that. Maybe he's still lying all the time about everything. If I nod anymore, my head's going to fall off. Like, I understand what you're saying completely. And you're like, and they'll lie about the stupidest little things. No, that can't be. I, I must be just, no, no. And also, it's sort of that, like, oh, well, He said he's a liar, but he told me he is, so he wouldn't lie to me because he's being honest about being a liar. And that's where that gaslighting comes in. That that was like the common theme through the whole relationship was this would be the reality. But he had this epic story that was much more believable for me that kind of counteracted everything and just made me be like, okay, I guess you're correct in this situation because the ex-wife or whatever. She, like, found my email somehow and, like, would start writing me really horrific, angry, aggressive, threatening emails. And, I mean, I was just, like, humiliated. I didn't respond. Like, I just couldn't. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I shut down. Like, it just triggered all of this anxiety in me. And I was just like, you have to fix this. Like, I don't know what's going on. And he's just, like, explaining to me that, like, he doesn't know how she got my email and, like, doesn't know how she found out the things that she said and, like, all this stuff. I'm like, How is that possible, though? Like, I don't, I would actually rack my brain about, like, how she could know details about things that happened or even things from before I even met any of them. And it was just being being really naive and didn't want to believe that he was not on my side. He was not there for me. He was there to protect himself in whatever way he could, whether it was lying to her or lying to me. It was just a bunch of bullshit. So that was kind of like... Another really big thing that I really should have just looked at and been like, okay, I'm out. But I didn't have that power over myself yet to do that. Um, I had a really big fear of being left alone, abandoned at that time. And I just didn't want to believe that I was in that kind of relationship. And I was just going to take his word for it. And he was conditioning me to think that what he told me was truth, that There were these perks, the part of the relationship that he just kind of made it look all pretty and glossy. And what was real behind it just like was horrible. It was shameful. It was humiliating. It was it was just a really bad place. And I got really depressed and I went kind of into a dark depression at that time where I was kind of battling these feelings because you feel a certain way. You're like, this isn't right. This isn't okay like I shouldn't be treated this way like 
I know something is wrong here, but I can't grasp it because they're feeding me so much of this stuff that I like and feel good about when I hear. And it's really just, he's just like a master manipulator. Like he was just really good at making me believe in something that wasn't real. And uh, he just like couldn't make me feel secure or validate my feelings, but at the same time would be like, you're amazing. You inspired me. Let's go to this awesome show of this classic band that you love and I'll get you in to photograph it. And here's awesome other things like, you know, just like ways in to like feed my desires, but at the same time wouldn't actually be like a truthful, caring, supportive human being in my life. Like those things just couldn't live at the same time. You know, growing up, in a like a single parent household with with just your mom it kind of seems like he was sort of feeling that older male role model sort of hole that you didn't have also well and they can even take on different roles to do like you know someone yeah. your same age could act maternal to you if you didn't have the mom like so it's not mm -hmm. even just the fact that he was an older male but certain people you know in our our music scene and probably just in the art world in general can come in and, and take on these roles of, you know, uh, I have I have a chosen sister because I am an only child, but I have someone who literally is my ride or die. I would do anything for her. And, you know, she acts completely different than the rest of my friends. I want to murder her half the time. If this, she was a regular friend, I would have 86 her a long time ago. But I also love her to death and I would do anything for her all the time. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like when someone just comes into your life and like, has these traits that you've been craving whether you know it or not that this is something that you've needed in your life like you become really attached to that and I think that's what happened in this situation for me because it didn't happen until much much later after everything was said and done that I like was in therapy and kind of working through some stuff and like my dad was not around at all growing up I didn't know him until I was 20. Like I met him the same summer that I met this teacher. And so I actually wasn't able to recognize that the timelines were the same until many years later. And I don't know what that's about, but I, it, I think it's part of the trauma of all of it. I couldn't see that these things are happening. And when I met my dad, you know, he's like this ex-Navy, loud, macho, meathead womanizing person which is ultimately the opposite of what I was hoping he would end up being and so that when I met this person and he kind of is essentially the same age and like took on this other persona that was like inviting and nurturing and had a lot in common and I was like I can learn from this person you know it just took on that other role which is really fucked up but very much what happens and you know again like the people, the support system in my life at that time just like did not have my back. Like everyone was out for themselves and that was it. Even my best friend, like she saw opportunities in my relationship. She developed friendships with his kids and his ex-wife and like all the stuff in it. It just made me feel even more alone. Like I didn't have anyone to help me when I was feeling crazy. I literally felt crazy for so long and she just couldn't be there for me. And I looked up to her so much like she i would like listen to anything she said to me and this is the record store friend this is the record store friend who and she developed a relationship with his ex-wife they were like friends i don't know she was with me at the airport she picked me up she saw the whole thing like oh she wow all of the bad stuff 
And she was like, oh, that lady seems cool. Let me be her friend later. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Like, she got the one of the daughters a job at her restaurant that she worked at. And then later at the record store she worked at. And she was, like, working on developing her own music school and, like, teaching kids. And so, like, the youngest was, like, a student. And she wanted to, like, pair up and do more things like that. She just saw opportunity for herself. And she wasn't going to stand next to me and be like what's happening to you is not okay right she didn't care and it took me a while for me to be like this friendship is not healthy either but you know i started making those choices later on when i finally did decide that i didn't want to do this anymore the lies got to be too much he was like seeing other women and lying to me about it he would like tell me everything was fine and then like she would be out whenever we went out like I don't know it was very strange and it just kind of lasted for about three years when I was finally like I can't do this anymore like I'm done here he was like going through this 12-step program again and I got a letter that was like supposed to be like making amends and I remember thinking okay this is it this is the closure I've been looking for He's going to admit that he was a freaking jackass the whole time and like own up to the shit that he did to me and put me through. And then I read this letter and it was just like the most blanket statement, superficial piece of fluff that I've ever read. There is no substance. There is no, you know, there's nothing personal in it. There is nothing that directly related to me. It was like you wrote 12 of these and they're all the same and you just changed the name. It was garbage. And I just felt once again betrayed. And at that point, I was like, I don't want to be here anymore. So I left. I moved. I moved to Portland. I left for six years. I was gone. I went to college in Portland. And that is where I really started to find ways to kind of work through some of that trauma that I was experiencing. And I kind of had to just like pick up my whole life and leave. And that's what I did, and I'm glad that I did it, because through school, you know, I studied photography. I was able to kind of get more into, like, this narrative, conceptual work where I was able to, like, create these stories through images that really worked through my traumas and, like, worked through these experiences that I had, whether it was with this person or other parts of my life. Like, I was starting to really be able to understand myself as a woman and give myself back some of the power that I've lost. Um, I started getting into performance work and in like the vein of like Yoko Ono, like doing cool, like I had this one cool piece. I'll just tell you about it. This one one cool piece (laughs) called Paper Doll. And it was probably the one of the most stressful things I've ever done because I, I wasn't a performance artist yet. I wasn't like a stage performer in any way. But I did this thing at school. It was just like I like set out a bunch of clothes and a bunch of makeup and a bunch of like hair things, including scissors, and like allowed people to just kind of come up and like dress me or undress me or put makeup on or take it off or cut my hair or whatever. And just like super similar to like Yoga Ono's cut piece. Like I wanted it to be that kind of powerful. But for me, it was like I felt like. I was trying to fit into a bunch of different ideals of who I wanted to be and I wasn't really sure what my identity was and this was me trying to like work through reclaiming my own identity. So that was like one of the biggest moving projects that I did while I was in school that kind of 
took me to the next space of like, I'm okay with myself. I'm okay again. Like I can be who I am and be proud of that. And I had to get through this thing that gave me the most amount of anxiety. I think I sweat so much. It was an hour long. I just stood there while people I'm came sweating on. just thinking about oh, it. That sounds so intense. Wow. It was very intense. And I, you know, I had a couple of friends that knew what I was doing. And I was like, you guys have to get this started. And it was really cool. I have it on video and everything. I'm like, it's something I can kind of look back on. But I'd be like, you guys grab this scissors and then like pretend to cut my hair and then hide them because no one's cutting my hair. <laughs> like At that time, I, I, I didn't care. If people wanted to do that. That was fine. I was open to whatever they wanted to do. And no one actually ended up cutting my hair. And I even told some people, I was like, there will be scissors. Just saying. Like people were like afraid to go that far because that's like more of a permanent sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah. Like, I did have one person come up and give me like total like corpse face makeup when that's cool. It was probably one of the most therapeutic things I did in school. And coming out of that when I eventually did move back to Seattle, that was kind of like the first thing where I was like, I'm gonna start putting myself in the front. I'm not going to be in the shadow anymore. I'm not going to be silenced anymore. Like I'm coming out on in the front. And I started making all this work about me and like who I am and the things that I was afraid of and putting it right out there for everyone to see, making myself more vulnerable, but being in control of that vulnerability. It was really hard, but it was really what I needed to do because I had felt like I was just like this secret for so long and that I didn't have a voice and so I just gave myself one and when I moved back to Seattle I kind of didn't really know what I was going to do but I started to play music with some friends of mine and I, I I was singing I was a front woman even very much in the riot girl style of a band called Tough Shet and it was awesome and I just got to scream a lot and it felt really good and from there I joined a band called Hex Rays and that was something that I was able to actually put more like poetry to the lyrics where I could be more thoughtful about what I was writing about. And the guys that I was in that band with, it was just a really cool thing to be a part of. And unfortunately, the man broke up with pandemic and everyone kind of went their separate ways. But before that completely ended, before pandemic really started, I was also in another band called Chicken which was really just a revival of an old punk band that a friend of mine wanted to put back together with some new members. And that is how I met my current partner, Jeff, who is incredible. And he's just the most amazing person. And I am so grateful that he's in my life because he is like the epitome of like healthy relationship material. And it's just been really awesome and hard at the same time because that would be the first relationship where I had to like really accept what good love looks like I guess I spend so much time looking for love in like all these wrong places and really just not not respecting myself and like putting myself in these really bad situations and being around these really bad people I was really at that point where I was trying to put a lot of work into myself and kind of like rediscover who I am and work through some of these childhood traumas and some of the experiences that I went through. And so when I started this relationship with Jeff, there was a, a lot of great things at the beginning, but there's also a lot of really hard things because I was at this point where I was like, I'm going to destroy anything that looks good because it's probably not real. 
I was reading about this recently, and it's an inherent part, I think, of the nervous system where your body gets used to something. Even if it's a toxic something, it becomes comfortable. So if you see the opposite of that, even if it's a positive, your first instinct is to be like, no, I don't want that. I want the comfortable thing, which may be the thing that ultimately is destroying you, which is absolutely mind boggling. That's how your body and your mind work. But like, it makes a lot of sense in my dating history. So <laughs> it totally does. Like when I was going through it, I was just like, I felt crazy again because I was like, what he's saying and what he's doing seems real nice, but I keep pushing him away and like doing all these terrible things to like ruin this relationship. But he's a strong man and he was like, I'm not going to let you do this. Like, I know what you're trying to do. And I'm so grateful that he stuck it out with me and worked it out because, he, you know, he had to learn too. like, this is where I come from. This is the behaviors that I was exhibiting for a really long time. And this is why, and, you know, once he kind of understood that, it helped him kind of work with me when I was starting to kind of like act out and feel crazy. And so we, we grew immensely in our first year together. And now it's just like hunky-dory and we do just fine. But it was just, it was an interesting experience in the beginning. But I'm, I'm really grateful for it because he's wonderful and I'm very happy and I feel supported and I feel empowered. The other interesting thing about all this kind of going back to the beginning of your story is having your first sexual experience be assault. You don't get to go through like the quote unquote normal, you know, hanging out with boys and like holding hands and then like kissing and making out. So like having to learn all of that at a later age is, it can't be easy. Yeah, I mean... That relationship wasn't really that far removed from like my sexual assault and the relationships that I had in between that really weren't great either, pretty tumultuous. I was learning very quickly at that time that in order to feel loved or valued, I had to like give myself to this person and then they could do what they wanted with it. And if they choose to leave, which they always did, that was what that was. And so I didn't have a good understanding of how to like respect myself or value myself or put boundaries. I just did not know what the word boundaries even meant back then. And it took me a very long time to even understand how to place a boundary for myself and then hold that there and be like, we're not crossing this line here, sir or ma'am or whatever. It just wasn't a concept to me. And I started to go to therapy on my own court and, and something that I wanted to do. And I had a focus where I knew what I wanted to really look into. Exploring childhood trauma, it helped inform me of like a lot of the mistakes that I made in my life and the behaviors that I was exhibiting and why. And I was able to kind of feel like I was getting my voice back and coming out of it and understanding where I come from and, and it just helps me make a lot better choices in my life and feel stronger about myself. And now I'm in a place where I kind of have a really good sense of self-worth. I felt like for a long time, it was hard for me to understand that my self-worth wasn't defined by my past and that we go through these experiences in our life that we wish would have gone differently. And a lot of the choices that we make come out of what we were taught growing up 
from the people who are either supposed to protect us, whether they taught us anything or not, you know, like that's where that comes from. And so when I started to go on my kind of like self-exploration journey, I was just trying to pull myself out of the scene. I didn't want to be around all those people. There's a lot of people that still exist there that I just, that triggers a lot of that anxiety for me. So I just kind of like, I'm very choosy about when I go out to shows and stuff like that. And I just become a lot stronger. I've pushed myself a lot harder than I ever thought I could. And I just don't ever want to feel that vulnerable or that humiliation that I felt ever again. I just don't want to live in the shadows anymore because I deserve to be seen and heard and very loudly. Enough is a podcast centering on surviving abuse, harassment, and assault in the music scene. To help get the word out, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. If you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone, be it artist, venue owner, booking agent, audience member, or someone else, and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential. <laughs>